All right, we're going to be in Matthew uh, chapter, the end of chapter 27 into 28 this morning, continuing on in our series, and it just so happens that we get to land on the resurrection story uh, of Christ this morning. Um, and just a couple things to preface prior to getting into this. Uh, Easter's are weird Sundays for pastors, because you feel this weird pressure to try to take what everybody already knows and reframe it in a cool way. And the reality is you're just going to hear the same story that you did last year and the year before and the year before that. But the story's good news, isn't it? It's really good news. And, and every Easter I sort of acknowledge the fact that there's three different people that are in the crowd this morning. There's those of you who have professed Christ as Lord and Savior of your life and you believe and you follow after him. And th- there's those of you that maybe at one point in your life have professed Christ as Savior, and you've walked away through a series of circumstances in your life or whatever it is. You find yourself more distant today than you ever have been before. And the third person, those of you in this, this room that have never even professed Christ as Lord and Savior, maybe you don't want to. And so I acknowledge the fact that there's three different people in the room, but I've been praying that this morning the Lord would really tune our hearts um, to his voice this morning as he speaks to us through his word, no matter where you're at no matter what your background, what you've been through. And um, it, it was so awesome this morning. My phone was just like going, getting texts off the hook from other pastors in the community and just acknowledging the fact that um, we are a very small microcosm of the church here at Anthem Coeur d'Alene, but the church is meeting globally to celebrate the same thing this morning. And, and so we're connected to the Big C Church, and I just feel so blessed that I'm in a community with pastors and other churches that really have each other's back and are locked arm in arm with one another this morning in presenting the gospel of Jesus to his Big C Church. It's quite a, an amazing privilege. So let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Jesus, we give you this time this morning. We pray you'd bless this time. We pray that you'd make yourself known. God, I pray that you'd relieve me of feeling any pressure to have to deliver something perfectly or do something just right because your word really does speak for itself. And so we invite you here this morning, Jesus, by your spirit to work within us. And we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I was thinking a a couple weeks ago about the fact that if you really want to get to know somebody really well, like really well, I mean really get to know them, there's one question that you can ask somebody to really get to the core of who that person is. And the question that you can ask is this. You can say, what is it that you're afraid of? What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Um, Ladies, I I promise that men love this question, right? First date scenario, just pop this one on them, you know? You're going to get the most bold, honest answer, aren't you? This question will get to the core of who people are. More often than not, we'll give some sort of generic answer, but if people really knew what our deepest fears were, who we actually were, what we were actually struggling with and and fearful of, I wonder how different things would be. And and if we're to honestly answer this question, I think, again, we would really get to know somebody. So what are you afraid of? Uh, It's actually a fairly fundamental question if you think about it, and it probably drives more of who we are and what we do than we actually realize. And in fact, it's such a fundamental question that several years ago, the New York Times ran this article titled, What Are You Afraid Of? was was the title of their article. And in this article, they had these nine different artists from around the world graphically depict the answer for this question. Like, they they just got that one question, then they got to create whatever they wanted to depict 
that question. So one of these pieces, I think, captured what I think one of humanity's most fundamental fears is. And so I want you to see this picture this morning. It's kind of hard to see, but it's a person standing in front of a wall. And what are they seeing? They see the shadow of themselves, and it looks like a monster. Like, really, what they're afraid of is who they actually are. And you can see this woman, and you see her shadow coming out, and her shadow sort of staring back at her uh, from this wall. And under this picture was the title of the piece, and the author titled this piece, Facing the, uh, Facing the Other Me. And so my question again this morning is, what are you afraid of? Most of us are afraid, afraid of actually facing the other us, the, the real us. And so here's the point. Matthew in his account of the resurrection of Jesus, he sort of does something interesting. Matthew's writing to this Jewish religious people, and his hope in writing this account is to try to prove that Jesus was the Messiah, that, that, that Jesus, uh, that, that, that uh, he was the long-awaited Savior that they had been waiting to deliver them. Uh, and, and so what I would have expected from, from Matthew is for him to be a little bit more apologetic in how he delivers his approach, right? You'd expect Matthew to say something like, hey, listen, uh, uh, he did rise from the grave. Like, he has been resurrected. And and listen, it's actually in accordance to what the Old Testament prophesied, but Matthew doesn't come out quite that clearly and say that. Instead, what Matthew does is he sort of repeats this one word four times in this one passage that we're going to be in this morning. And the word that he repeats four times is this word, fear. And so what does he say, uh, what, what he does say is he, he sort of blows right past why they might say, I can't believe. And, and he gets right to the heart of why they would say, like, I actually don't want to believe. And I think by the end that we're actually going to see that, that it has more to do with the, the other me than we actually realize, the dark, the, the shadow side of me. And so let's get started. If, if you Read up to the, the resurrection story. Um, if we want to get up to the resurrection story in Matthew 28, I want to go back a few verses and kind of catch us up at the end of chapter 27. So we're going to start at verse 57 of 27, and then we'll read up to 28. It says this, When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate, and he asked for the body of Jesus. And then Pilate ordered it to be given to him, and Joseph took the body, and he wrapped it in in a clean linen shroud, and he laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. And Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he's risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers, go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. And so what just took place? This man, Joseph, um, asked to be able to take Jesus' body, to prepare it for burial, place it in his own tomb. I don't know why this part of the story is so impactful for me, but to think of this man, the, the sweet gesture of love and respect that he has for Jesus, 
Notice that it says that he, Joseph, had cut the tomb in the rock. Like he had created his own tomb. And then he's giving this tomb, he's carrying Jesus to his own tomb. And then there's these two Marys that are watching his body be placed in the tomb. And then the next day there's these religious elite that come together to talk to Pilate. And they try to convince Pilate to secure this tomb because they're fearful that beings Jesus said he would rise on the third day, that his disciples might come and they might steal his body and they might tell people that he actually rose from the dead and that Jesus would be basically duping people worse the second time than he had the first because they thought he was a fraud. And so Pilate has his guards go stand by this tomb and guard it and make sure that the stone is secure. Pick up in Matthew 28. Now after the Sabbath, Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there's this great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. And so here's the scene. On Friday, Jesus is crucified. He dies. He's buried. Now it's Sunday. And you've got these two Marys, they go to the tomb, there's an angel that's, that's descended and is sitting upon this rock that was securing the tomb, and then there's these guards whose job it was to protect the tomb and to keep it, and, and, and to try to keep Jesus in the tomb, and so they're panicking, like in fear, and they're lying still, and they're playing dead. And now in verse 5, the angel speaks to them, to the women, and it says, but the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. And so here's my question. Like, here's what I want to know. If there's no evidence that the women were afraid, if there's not like one hit of evidence that the, the women were shivering in fear and that only the guards were afraid, then why would the angel not say to the guards but say to the women, do not be afraid? Who are the ones that are fearful at this moment that we know? The guards. Other than the fact that there's this angel that's talking to them, right? And so here's what I think is going on. This phrase, do not be afraid, that this angel uses, would actually have meant something to these women, right? It, it would have meant something to them. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, here's the story of the Bible. is that God creates the world and it's good and, and it's beautiful and there's harmony, there's rhythm. And then Adam and Eve, like they're naked and they're happy about it, right? They're all, it's all good. Like, there's nothing weird about it. There's no insecurity about their abs, right? At least not yet. Not in Genesis 1 and 2. But then you get to Genesis chapter 3, and there's this fracture. Like, sin enters, and it all starts to, to fall apart. Like, sin enters the world, and there's this break. And God comes down, and he walks through the garden, and he calls out to Adam and Eve. And the first thing that Adam says to God is this. I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, is what Adam says. And then after this, the, 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 this phrase, do not be afraid, or, or do not fear, appears 70 times in the Bible, mostly in the Old Testament. But these women would have known that the primary reason why God would say, hey, do not be afraid, or do not fear, is because it was like it was in the garden, like, because I am with you. Don't be afraid, don't fear, because I'm with you. I'm with you. And so Jesus, picking up on this in Matthew 14, 
there's this really famous scene in the Bible where the disciples are out on this boat and there's this horrible storm that's just come raging in and they're panicking and the disciples don't know what to do about it. And so Jesus walks on water out to them and then he says, take heart, it's I, do not be afraid. Jesus says this again, do not be afraid. And so if we could put ourselves in the shoes of these two women where, where we've just seen Jesus crucified and now we're at the, t- at the tomb of Jesus who's dead and these words do not be afraid are sort of like this Rolodex in the back of our mind. Like we're thinking about other times that we've heard this phrase, phrase has been used, for I am with you. Like it had to have been running through their mind, like don't be afraid for I'm with you. It had to be bringing them some sort of semblance of comfort But they had to have been thinking, like, literally, what do you mean I'm with you? What do you mean, Jesus, that you are with us? Like, we literally watched you die. We were at the tomb. Like, an angel of the Lord came to us and said that the Jesus you seek is the one who was crucified. Like, what do you mean, Jesus? Don't be afraid. Like, are you kidding us? Don't be afraid. He's not with us. Like, Jesus is actually dead. But this is Easter, and so we know the story, and and we know that the story doesn't end here. And so if you look at verse 6, this is the angel talking in verse 6. It says, he's not here, for he's risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples, and behold, and I want you to hear the next three words. They can change your life. And behold, what? Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up, and they took a hold of his feet, and they worshiped him. And so this angel tells the women, Hey, go and tell the disciples to go to Galilee and that Jesus is going to meet them there. But then Matthew does something, like to to be a bit of a nerd here, in the original language, Matthew goes out of his way to say that Jesus went out of his way to go and meet the women on their way to Galilee. And so as they're walking and leaving with this blend of fear and and joy in them and, and, and going to tell the disciples what just happened, Jesus shows up as sort of a roadblock on the way, and he looks at them and he says, greetings. <laughs> what's up, y'all? You know, like, what's going on? And I'm guessing that none of us in this room have ever had an angel speak to us, right? Maybe some of you had like a crazy time in college where like, there was this one time when I was with all my buddies and this angel showed up, you know, and it probably was not legit, but... I'm guessing that Jesus never really showed up physically and said greetings to you either, unless it was that same time in college when you're sitting there like, yeah, bros, like I saw an angel and then Jesus showed up, greetings. But I do know this, that all of us in this room are old enough to know this blend of fear and joy that actually can take place in our lives. That this blend of fear and joy that these women were actually leaving with. And there's that excitement, like when you think about the first date that you have with your spouse, right, or with somebody, and it's tethered to a a fear that it's gonna be like the rest of your dates that you've ever had, and maybe this one's not gonna go anywhere. 
or the struggle of, of sort of finding and keeping a job, but, but knowing that, that that excitement that you have when you finally have one, but then it's also tethered to this fear of showing up on the first day of your job knowing that you probably interviewed better than you actually are and that maybe you're gonna get found out, and so there's this hint of fear in you as well. Or the struggle of your marriage being on the rocks and it's tethered to the sense that maybe there's this glimmer of hope that you have right now, but you're afraid that maybe that glimmer is just a glimmer and it's not actually gonna pan out, and you don't know if it's actually gonna work out the way that you're kind of hoping that it will. Or to be really honest with you, maybe that struggle in knowing that you've been gripped by pornography since you were 12 years old, that it's had this grip on your life, that you've been consumed by it, that it's literally everything you think about. And finally, you get a few days of sobriety. And, and you're fearful that maybe that's all it's going to be. It's just going to be a glimpse. Like, it's just going to be a little bit, that it's not going to last forever because it never has before. But here's the hope of the resurrection of Jesus. This is the joy of the resurrection, that in the same way that Jesus met them on the road and they had this mix of both fear and joy, that he actually wants to meet you in the middle of your fear and joy, and he actually does meet you in your fear and your joy. Amen? He does. And you may ask the question, like, how? How? How does he meet me in that? How does he meet me in the middle of my life falling apart, in, in the middle of things just crumbling all around us, in the middle of this horrific sickness that, 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 that plagues my body? How does Jesus meet me in the middle of this? How does Jesus meet me in the middle of my struggling marriage? How does he meet me, like I'm 45 and I'm still single, is this ever gonna end? Like, how does Jesus meet me? And we often can't see that when we're immersed in these struggles in our lives, but I wanna give you three ways real quick that Jesus does meet us. I mean, one, Jesus meets us at the communion table, right? It's in our moments of remembering what he did for us, his body broken, his sacrifice, his bloodshed, his forgiveness. Like when we come to the table to take communion, he actually meets us in that place. And there's a reason that the apostle Paul says, for as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Like this wasn't supposed to be something we just do a handful of times a year, but something that we do regularly to remember, to acknowledge his sacrifice for us, that in that moment as you eat of the bread and you drink of that cup, Jesus is meeting you like the resurrected living Christ who said this is my body and this is my blood is actually meeting us in that moment. Second thing is Jesus meets us in his word. I mean, the statistics about the amount of believers that actually ever open their Bibles is really bad, right? It's like, we say we believe this, but we never open up our Bibles to actually immerse ourselves in it. But yet, Jesus meets us in his word. It says that his word is living and active, that it's actually profitable for teaching, that it edifies us. Like, there's something about the word of God when we open it up that he speaks to us and he meets us in his word. Third thing is this, is that Jesus actually meets us in and through his people, the church. 
And when I say church, I, I, I don't know what your, your context is or what your frame of mind is for church, but it's not the location that you go to. It, 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 the, 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 the church isn't a location, but it's through the millions of believers around the world that make up the Big C Church worldwide. We talk about community and relationship and fellowship really hard here at Anthem. And, and to, to reiterate for you, it really is not a plea on our behalf to just get you in one of our groups to pad our numbers in the church. Like, we actually hope that you find a group of people in your life to open up your life to, like a, a place where you aren't afraid to open up your heart, to let people see the real you. Like, don't be afraid of, of opening up and being honest about the pain in your life so that Jesus can actually step in and meet you in the middle of your pain. And he will meet you in the middle of your pain through his people. And now what Jesus says in this text is pretty fascinating, I think. In verse 10, Jesus says to them, speaking to the women, don't be afraid. He says, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So when Jesus says brothers, who's he referring to? The disciples, right? He's referring to the disciples. He calls them brothers. But do you realize what just happened in the moments prior to this? When Jesus was arrested, the disciples, who were now 11, but were 12, who followed Jesus for three years, all abandoned him. <laughs> and then there's Peter, like our, our boy Peter. Hey, aren't you one of those guys that was like hanging out with Jesus? No, 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 I don't know him, right? No, I saw you with him. No, you didn't. Like somebody that looks like me. Like, I'm pretty sure I did, like, no, 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 I, I heard, I've heard about him like you have, but, you know, I don't know him. And what Jesus calls them, like the first words out of Jesus' mouth post-resurrection, how does he refer to his disciples? My brothers. It's so crazy to me. Like, if I'm Jesus, that's not where I start, right, <laughs> in the conversation, that's not where I start. Like, I'm going to start with, like, why do you never listen to me and you always listen to somebody else? It sounds like most of your households, right? Um, like, if I'm Jesus, I'm going to show them and say, like, I told you so. Look at me. Touch me. Like, I warned you of this, but not Jesus. He looks these women in the eyes and he says, go and tell my brothers that I'm going to meet them in the Galilee. And so for those of us who grew up in the church, but spent decades maybe like running from God, this is actually really good news for you and I. Like God's not floating around in the sky, angry at you saying, hey, I, I gave you every shot in the world, you spent 30 years running, and now I'm done with you. Like it, it's over. Hey Siri. But Jesus is actually ready to look you in the eye, to call you brother or sister, and I know that some of you in this room are literally sitting there thinking to yourselves, like, I'm too far gone. Like, if you actually knew me, you would know that. Like, I'm way too far gone. Like, maybe when I was a kid, I would have been partially good, but not anymore. Like, that shadow of me, that, that face of me that I'm looking at, like the woman in the picture is afraid of, like, it's not my shadow, that's actually who I am. It's filthy. Like it's taken over my life, it's consumed me, like it's, it's a monster. 
And I, and I hope that this isn't too straightforward to you, but I really do want to be as real as I possibly can be this morning. Have you ever been to a funeral before where, and I've officiated tons of funerals. Um, in my 13 years, I've probably officiated 40-some funerals. And there's these funerals that you go to where somebody passed away and they were just awful. Have you ever been to those funerals before? Like, I'm just being real. And somebody at the funeral stands up and says, oh man, like, <laughs> he was the best brother I could have ever imagined, right? Last time we talked was 15 years ago. But I'm telling you, there was this time when I was six and somebody pushed me down on the playground and he came over and, and he told the bully to get away, like, man, that's how I remember my brother, right? You're like, that dude hasn't done a good thing in 15 years, 20 years. Or Susie, like, she was... She was such a good sister. Like, she just loved everybody, and everybody in the room knows that that's not true, right? Now she didn't. I've been in those situations before. It's awkward. And here's the deal is, like, we might as well not sugarcoat it because for some of us in this room, like, your shadow has come out, the, the shadow of the real you, and that could be your funeral. Like, there's nothing to brag about about your life up to this point. But it doesn't have to be. And that's the hopeful side of the gospel and the resurrection story of Jesus. Is you see, what, what makes Good Friday good is that, you know what's happening to Jesus? Um, as he's hanging on the cross and nails are bring, being driven through his hands. And, and nails are being driven through his feet and the sky do, goes dark. Like, what's happening? Like, think about this, is that Jesus is actually becoming the other us. Like, he's becoming that shadow for us. And, and you know what happened on Sunday when he came back to life? Like, he literally, he came back to life and he put the other me to death. Amen? The other you to death. Like, he put that thing to death. And he did so so that no matter how big or how vile or how real that other side of you is, no matter how real, how big that shadow's become, that there isn't a single shadow, a single dark side in this room that's come out that's so powerful that Jesus can't overcome it. Like not a single one of us in this room. And you may have a list of all the horrible things that you've done, and some of them may be things that you'd never even say out loud that you'd never be able to fight the, the, the shame if other people heard what it is you've done or who you actually are. And so if the story of Peter and the disciples is one that says like, hey listen, there, there's no one so far gone, then the grace of God and the love of God for you in Christ, the fruit of what Christ did can actually overcome that part of you, that side of you. Maybe you say, man, like I kind of want that. Like maybe... You're tired of living this life. Maybe I know the real me, and it's actually time for that real me to be put to death. Like, I want that life. Like, what would stop you? What is the barrier that keeps you from coming to Jesus? And Matthew sort of gives us a hint in verses 11 through 15. It says, and while they're going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. And so they took the money and they did as they were directed. And the story has been spread among the Jews till this day. And, and so these guards whose job it was to keep Jesus in the tomb, 
tomb. They go to the chief priest and they tell him what happened. And so they say, hey, listen, here, here's what you're going to do. You're actually going to go tell the people that while we were sleeping, his disciples showed up, that they slipped him out of the tomb, and then I want you to go and spread that news, and I'm going to give you some money to change the story. And, and by the way, if the, if the governor finds out what's happened, don't worry about it. Like, I've actually got you covered. Like, I will get him off your back. And so here's my question. is like, what would motivate these people to do this? Whether it was the Roman guard or the chief priest, like what would motivate them to do this? Why would they do it? And get this, that for the guards, Jesus escaping would have been a civil crime for them, right? Like for the religious leaders, they would have been exposed as frauds, they would have lost all power, and so you could sort of say it like this, like the guards would have lost their place in the secular society if this was legit. And these religious leaders and these chief priests would have lost their place in the religious society if this was legit. Like they would have lost what they had. And so if you want to ask the question this morning, like what's stopping me? What's, what's stopping you? What's the barrier between me and the resurrection life of Jesus? What's the barrier between you and the resurrection life of Jesus? What's the barrier between us and Jesus? Ask yourself this question. What is it that you're afraid of losing? What are you holding on to? What is it that you're afraid of losing? What is it that you have that you have that you're so afraid of losing? Like for them, it was their social standing, and maybe it's similar for you and I. Maybe it means that you know that the way you're going to be invited to live in Jesus is one that causes you to not be so cutthroat at work. <laughs> One that causes you to celebrate other people when they get ranked higher than you do. One where you actually celebrate other people's success. But maybe it's this. Maybe it's the illusion of how your life has actually turned out. Like maybe what you're afraid of losing is actually that illusion. You see, the, the chief priests and the guards, they were people like you and I. They, like, you can't read the Bible like some sort of like academic exercise, right? You have to remember that these people were like you and me. They had hopes and they had fears and they had dreams. They had a first century Facebook and Instagram life, right? They had a public profile that they had to maintain. And even knowing that Jesus had left the tomb, they weren't willing to give up the profile that they had built. They, were, they weren't willing to give it up. And see, our Instagram life, like our, our flashing of pictures, the way we project that our life actually is, like it's always the good stuff, right? You go to my Instagram page, and what am I guilty of posting all the time? Pictures of my kids looking really cute, super hot, right? Like, yeah, you guys look awesome. Do I ever post pictures of me disciplining my kids? Negatory. Do we post much about the downside of our life, like our shadow side? Not at all. Because what we want to do is build a profile to project something that isn't actually us so that people buy into the lie that we're more, we're bigger than, we're better than who we actually are. And the reality is at the end of the day, I'm not that good. But I am in Christ. Like he's the one that's made me good. He's the one that has made me Righteous. And so the question that I think Matthew is compelling us to ask isn't, why can't you believe? 
It's why don't you want to? And what are you afraid of? And here's what I'm also convinced of is that some of us in this room are here today because we desperately want to stop living the illusion. Like we actually do want to get rid of the illusion. illusion. Like we're fully aware that, that our profile us is not the real us and that the real side of us is like that shadow that comes out every now and then. And many of us are tired of that shadow. I don't know about you, but I get tired of it. I get tired of projecting and making myself look different than I actually am. Like we're tired of trying to suppress this while we try to pretend, like all the while knowing that we're trapped somewhere in the middle. And we're tired of the fight. And maybe some of you are like ready to give up. Like, like you want the other me that Jesus offers you this morning and you're ready but you've got doubts and you've got struggles and fears. You're afraid of who you might be and who you may not be. And then there's just all these questions about God and the Bible and all these doubts that you have. So what do you do? What do you do if you have doubts? Like what do I do if I really am ready for whatever life Jesus is offering me, but I've got these doubts? Like what do I do? What do I do with the fear of who I might be or who I may not be in Christ? And this is the place in your life where you legitimately meet Jesus. This is where you engage his church, his people. You start wrestling through your doubts and fears. And your starting point isn't trying to figure it all out right now. Your starting point is to ask questions, wrestle through the hard stuff. And then while, all the while, entrusting your life to Jesus. And so as we celebrate Easter, this really is what we're celebrating. When we talk resurrection life, we're talking the old me was buried and res the new me was resurrected in Christ three days later. We're talking the shadow side of me ceases to exist because what he did on the cross and his resurrection was enough for me to bury my shadow. And yet how many of us in this room will continue to live our life in this awful cycle of like, there's the... There's the, the shadow side of me and nobody can see it and yada, yada, yada. I wouldn't share this with anybody. And yet, can I be honest with you? My, the best relationships I have in my life with my strongest friends know the deepest parts of my heart and my soul. They know where I struggle and where I slip up. They know the shadow side of me. And you know what? They choose to love me regardless of it. Walk with me regardless of it. They choose to show me Christ and point me to Christ to continue to remind me of his body broken and his blood shed on a regular basis so that I know on those days when I'm like being reminded how great that shadow is, that it's been buried in Jesus. And so Easter is this time when we like come to church and many of us, we come here for the tradition of it with our families and that's great. But I pray that you wouldn't leave here this morning without asking the question at least, like, what is it you're afraid of? And if you're hesitant to engage Jesus in your life right now, what is it that you're afraid of giving up to pursue him with everything you have? And why don't you have relationships in your life with people who actually care about helping point you to Jesus and reminding you, who your identity is in him so you don't get lost in your shadow. Amen? Would you guys pray with me?
Jesus, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that we thank you, Father, that you would send your son to the world as you did, that you would send him to go to the cross to become the other me and to stand in the gap for me. I thank you that on Sunday, Friday was actually made to be something amazing and glorious in your death. And I thank you that as Jesus came back to life, he put the other me to death. I thank you for the resurrection life offered in Christ. I thank you that the old me was buried and the new me was resurrected with you, Jesus. And we have a lot to be thankful for today, a lot to be grateful for as your church. And I pray for those in this room who would say like, I've just followed Jesus for like 20 to 30 years of my life and I'm still trying to fight that other me, like I'm still trying to fight that shadow that keeps coming out. And I pray that they would know that you're actually meeting them, Jesus. That you're actually looking them in the eye, that you're not disappointed in them, that you're inviting them to become brothers and sisters in you. For those in this room that have spent 10, 20, 30, 40 years running from you, out of fear or frustration, anger, resentment. I pray you'd grant them strength and courage this morning to look you in the eyes, Jesus. To even face their other self head on. And to turn to you, Jesus. I thank you so much for your mercy and your grace in our lives. And as we leave here today, may it not fall on deaf ears, the fact that the tomb is empty. And Jesus, that's an amazing feat. You could have done it any other way, but you chose to give up your own life in order that we would find salvation, eternity, forgiveness of our sins, strength, grace, mercy in you, Jesus. And so remind us of that today. God, I pray we be mindful of that. I pray for those in this room that do not know you. God, my job isn't to convince them, but I pray that your spirit would just go before me and that you do the work you need to in their hearts. You know the questions that they're asking. You know the things they're seeking. You know the wrestling that they're doing and the hurt and the pain and the things they're trying to work through in their life. God, you know the barriers that have kept them from just engaging you and turning their lives over to you. And all I'm asking today, Jesus, is that you make yourself known in the same way, the same way that you looked the Marys in the eye and said, do not be afraid, I'm with you. I pray this morning you'd be looking us in the eyes and reminding us that you really are with us, Jesus. In the most difficult of things, you are with us. And I'm grateful for that. And I pray today as we leave here, we leave empowered by the resurrection life of Jesus, that your spirit would go with us, God, you'd sustain us. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for this day.